Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. We will have our old pal Mark Mazuros joining us in just a minute, but first we want to let you know we're doing something a little different tonight. In this episode, we will be talking Cavs Pacers in the NBA playoffs, and then after that, we're going to go jump on the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast to talk a little NFL draft. It's been a crazy run-up to draft night this year, all sorts of theories and rumors about what the Browns plan to do with the first and fourth picks. We're going to try to make sense of it all and get into a little bit on how reporters are separating fact from fiction at this time of the year. So when you're done listening to us talk hoops here, go check out our NFL draft coverage talk on waitingfornextyear.com. And as always, make sure you are subscribed to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app. And we'd really appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, share our posts on Facebook and Twitter, leave us a review on iTunes. It all really helps, and we definitely appreciate it. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we're on Twitter at Podcast. All right, with that bit of business out of the way, let's roll. The Nail in the Coffin! Alright, it's The Nail. I'm Tom, he's Travis. It's Monday night, and Trav, the last time we were on here, you started things off by saying that the Eastern Conference playoffs would probably be a little bit more interesting than we were used to, and uh, my goodness, how right you have turned out to be. Cavs and Pacers tied 2-2 going into Game 5 on Wednesday night. Yeah, I've been more right than I thought I was going to be, honestly. Um, I don't think I thought it was going to be this interesting, and I didn't expect this to be uh, to be sweating the way we have. I say I didn't think you were going to be that right. Probably didn't want to be that right. This is a uh, been rough. It's uh, it's been a rough week and a half here so far as a fan. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I don't know that. I don't know the the first round in general has been sort of back and forth for for pretty much everyone. But I think as Cleveland fans, we sort of expected, you know. Ah, damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> sort of expected uh, LeBron and company to sort of get it together in time and and cruise the way we're used to them cruising in the first round and we have uh not been not been so fortunate yeah well that uh little non-sequitur there in the middle was uh the blue jackets giving up goal number five in their season uh over in the hockey playoffs looking to be uh, similarly on the ropes but uh no shortage of basketball stuff to talk about so we've got uh, our old pal a friend of the show mark mazaras joining us mez welcome back gentlemen thanks for having me yeah, all right. you were uh, old times <laughs> you were over on uh what was it friday night for game three uh did not uh did not walk out with a very good uh feeling about it um i don't know how, how are you feeling now after game four i mean a little better i i think we had i think the Cavs had to win that one and they did so that that's all that matters but i mean if we're being honest you and i were exchanging pretty pretty dramatically negative texts fairly deep into that game so it's hard to be it's hard to be filled with confidence i i do think the Cavs are going to win this series but i wouldn't go shout it from the rooftops there was a point in the fourth quarter last night i think i texted you this is over and that could have been interpreted as this game is over this series is over this era is over take your pick it i was in a dark place i'm not gonna lie um i know how i took it i mean like i walked out of your house on friday night you barely wanted to say anything i barely wanted to say anything and then you know we kind of picked that back up late in the game 
uh, yesterday, but then as LeBron teams have a way of doing it, they, they figured it out. You know? Well, it starts with him. Uh, through the uh, the first four games, I believe he has already played more minutes in this series than he did in the first four games of the finals last year. Just slightly terrifying. Um, Jeez. <laughs> The, uh, just to bring up some of the numbers here, he's obviously leading the team in points, uh, 32.5 a game. Next closest, Kevin Love at, at 12 points a game. In raw numbers, that's 130 to 48. Um, he's got 32 assists. Next closest on the team is, you want to take a guess? Do you know this? I don't. Trav, I even... you want to go? No, no, give it to me. Jeff Green with eight. Yeah. <sighs> seems less than optimal. It does seem less than optimal. Kevin Love is at least close in rebounds, uh, trailing LeBron only 47 to 42. But um, it just kind of speaks, I think. You know, I've gotten a little bit of frustration at times when it feels like maybe LeBron's uh, missed an offen- a defensive assignment here or there. At you know, certain points, it seems like he's not necessarily getting back, and everybody, you know, it's just like, what is he doing? Is he checked out? Is this 2010 all over again? I mean, the guy's, you know, believe it or not, he is human. And I think you just look at these numbers here for a minute and it kind of speaks to just what an insane burden he has to be carrying right now. Yeah, and I think we're so used to him doing everything that we assume that, you know, in the come playoff time, he can expend 100% of energy every second he's on the floor. Um, And obviously that's not the case. And he's still doing some some insanely, insanely awesome stuff. But... He, he really does need help. I mean, finally, last night, Kyle Korver sort of woke him up. And I think he's, that uh, Kyle Korver, obviously, his shot's starting to fall. Um, kind of breathes some new life into LeBron, too. He seemed to have a little bit extra a little extra pep after those started falling for him. I, I was just going to say, I feel like this series is sort of like the whole LeBron experience in a nutshell. Like, he blows your mind with his talent and his uh, endurance and the fact that he can basically play a whole NBA basketball game and play it better than everyone else. But he also, he's a moody guy. It seems like he checks out for little stretches and then something good happens and he's thrilled and he's buying matching suits for the whole team. But at the same time, you're watching this whole game through a prism of like, man, if they don't win this series, he's going to leave. You know, it's just, it's, it's just too much. I, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it's too much. I get that he's LeBron, but how do you get those suits on that quick a turnaround? He's got a guy. Yeah, but a guy that can make 15 suits in like a day and a half and have all those guys measured. I think think that was in the works for a while because maybe I misinterpreted it, but I swear one of the guys posted a picture of them in their gray suits before game three on Instagram, and Isaiah Thomas showed up in the comments making some sort of remark about, hey, I got fitted for one of those. Where's mine? LOL. (laughs) Well, I read, I don't know if it was in the Plain Dealer or in the Athletic, but I feel like I read something about it, some plan with Dwayne Wade. So I don't know if it goes back to that or if they did it with the Heat, but I'm sure like a lot of things with LeBron, planning went into it. You know, it's like these Halloween parties. He doesn't just throw them together. Well, I'll tell you who was not planning for it was Ty Lue. uh, (laughs) the, The story that came out this morning, you know, he wore a gray suit last night. Uh, but they had the, the matching gray suits in game three, and he was apparently planning on wearing his gray suit for game three. And when he saw all of the players show up in theirs, he didn't want to look like one of the players. He, I think he like made somebody go back to one of the team buses or, or something and had to go get his other suit specifically so he could wear something else and, and not look like he was trying to 
latch on with the players or something like that. So uh, he was very ill-prepared, and the, the beat reporters, I guess, were giving him shit during the pregame availability. He was wearing a very strange-looking calf shirt and dress pants before his uh, black suit <laughs> arrived. So uh, let's, uh, maybe that's a, probably the perfect time to segue into this. It's been a rough go of it for Ty Lue all around. Um, Trav, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of the rotations we've seen and just the way that uh, Ty has uh, managed – uh, and coached uh, this this scenario here so far through the first four games of this series. Well, I'm under no delusions that Ty Lue is some you know master game planner. Like I, I I'm not going to convince myself that he's far better than he actually is. But there's been I think everybody's kind of been universally confused by some of his moves. The most noteworthy probably being Jeff Green still getting as many minutes as he did. Um, made a few good plays last night. Um, in crunch time, so maybe gets a little bit of validation out of that. I don't know how much. Um, but in general, it seems like rotation-wise, guys that seem to be playing well, Jordan Clarkson was one yesterday. He played real well in the first half, kind of didn't touch the floor in the second half. You're kind of wondering why that didn't happen. Um, Kevin Love, obviously. It, it seems like, and I think it was our uh, old friend Kevin Klups that mentioned last night, like Nance, Green, and Love should not be on the floor together. Um like none of the two of the three even shouldn't play together. And for a vast majority of the game, I think at least two of the guys were on the floor and at sometimes all three, which I, I don't know. I, I've heard people say like, you know, he knows what's going on. He knows the numbers. He just kind of plays dumb and, and, and that, that is what it is. Cause he doesn't want to have to talk about it. But at some point there's certain questions that need to be answered. I mean, cause everybody's thinking the same thing. Mez, what are you taking away from the Ty Lue experience here through four games? Yeah, I, I haven't been I haven't been overwhelmed by uh, Ty Lue this year. And, and like some some caveat, I, I think it's, it's hard for me to sit there and judge. And like, look, Ty, Ty Lue helped bring a championship to uh, to us, so he's in my Hall of Fame just for that. Like, he gets a lot of leeway, but uh, and I know it's not apples to apples. I, I liked watching this team better with um, with Larry Drew coaching it. Now, I'm not saying you fire Ty Lue as as some of our friends might be using a certain <laughs> hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Mez right just now. said fire Ty Lue. Mez said it. <laughs> Breaking. But uh, he, he, I don't know, he just, uh, I, I certainly don't, look, it's been a challenging year. A lot's been thrown out with him, a lot of him has been thrown at him this year. But I don't know how you can be overly impressed either. And, and and I don't know if you want to go here yet. The way they come out in these third quarters, and we've seen it before from these Cavs teams, but like, it makes you just want to punch a hole in your wall. And on some degree, that's got to be on him. I never thought I would be more frustrated with Cavs third quarters in the playoffs than I was during Mike Brown's time here on the Cavs bench. And yet here we are. It, uh, it, it is mind boggling to me, especially in these two games that were played at Indiana. The Cavs put together, I thought, a couple of really great first halves and looked like they were in control of both of those games. And the roof just kind of fell in on them, especially in game three. Um, the one thing I keep coming back to with this in, you know, I, I'm like you guys. I, I look at the numbers. You know, we had Mike Zavagno on here the last time, and he has just been a goldmine churning out stats, one interesting number and, and observation after another in terms of uh, the lineups the Cavs are putting out on the floor. And I'm sure the Cavs coaching staff is getting that as well. And just, you know, you see this in, in the press conferences when guys tend to ask questions about this. Ty either plays dumb or he starts bristling at things and kind of shuts the questions down and, you know, moves on as quickly as he can. And, you know, just, you, you, you know, you'd like to see in an honest moment, like, 
look at these numbers with, you know, some of those front court pairings that, you know, you guys were just talking about. And like, what's the rationale behind putting those guys on the floor? Because the thing that I come back to a lot is for as closely as we all follow the, this team, you know, and we're watching every game and, and we're, you know, reading every story that we can and listening to every podcast and so on and so forth. He still knows more about what's going on in that locker room than we do. He still has access to more information than we ever will. And what is it that he knows that we don't, that leads to some of the decisions that end up getting made, I guess. Yeah, but obviously that's the stuff you can't say, or some of it is. So right. it's a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, like a, a classic example of that on, on a smaller scale is, you know, Kyle Korver in game one plays, I think, four minutes in the first quarter and doesn't come back in the rest of the game. And it's like, Rizzo, what the hell? I mean, put up 80 points and your best shooter can't get off the bench. And, you know, what's going on? Is his foot still a problem? Because, you know, he'd been kind of limited leading up to the series. And he's like, no, his his foot was okay. And kind of gave like a non-answer with something, you know, I didn't really get a chance to get him back in and so on and so forth. Then we found out the day after that he, you know, he was missing practice because he was sick. And apparently he was dealing with that. And like, I don't think that ever came out in the post game or before, certainly before that game. So, you know, that's just kind of a microcosm. Like, who knows what else is going on? Like, I've seen a lot of people saying, like, why are we not seeing more of Larry Nance? And I'm kind of convinced that Larry Nance hasn't really looked entirely right since he came back from the hamstring. And I don't think he's Correct. looked like quite the same player. And, you know, he was okay in, in, in small stretches last night. But by and large in this series, I don't think he's done anything to kind of force Ty Lue's hand here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, like you said, he's 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 had flashes and moments he's made plays, but I'm just assuming that he can't that Tyler knows something and he knows he can't ride him for too long each game. Trevor, are you surprised we haven't seen more of Tristan Thompson? Um, I was surprised yesterday we didn't see more of him. I thought he played pretty well in the first half. Um another one kinda like Jordan Clarkson didn't seem a whole lot in the second half. Um, I thought he did a really good job defensively. Had a couple really good plays. Um, where one of those things I think doesn't those things that like don't show up in stat sheets, but if you're really watching the game and paying attention, they really kind of stand out as you know plays that sort of set the tone and really put you in a good position. So I was a little surprised they didn't use him a little more um, in the second half. But I, I don't know. I feel like this is just sort of a weird matchup that. Indiana clearly is a bad matchup for us just based on the way that they played us so far. Um, but I don't know that Ty Lue is, is really comfortable with much of anybody um, for whatever reason, outside of Jeff Green, um, seriously. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, I guess I'm a little surprised we didn't see him more, but there was also times where I also said to myself, yeah, I don't know what the hell Tristan Thomas is going to bring you here. Well, the thing that I found kind of interesting about this is for all the uncertainty, it, it does seem like when his back against the wall, um, Ty Lue's going to the guys that he knows. It, you know, J.R. Smith is starting again. Kyle Korver's getting a lot of minutes now. You know, obviously LeBron's going to be, I mean, LeBron's minutes, as we discussed earlier, already astronomical. And, you know, when Kevin Love's not fighting off nearly having his thumb rebroken or getting two fouls in the first 65 seconds of the game, he's still getting a lot of minutes. And, you know, of the familiar faces on this team, Tristan's like the one guy that seems like he's not getting that benefit of the doubt. Um, Mez, is, is that something that you think is going to kind of change here as we go into game five and game six and beyond? 
I don't. I, I heard, you know, it seems like he's a talk about guys who haven't been the same athletically since an injury. I don't, I don't feel like we, we see anything but short bursts of the old Tristan Thompson since, since he's kind of come back from something this year. And I, I think the, the stuff he was in the media for didn't endear him to his teammates from what I've heard. And I, I don't know. I just think you're going to try to, you're going to try to play Nance more than him. So I, I don't expect him to be any kind of uh, salvation for the Cavs. I also think those other guys you mentioned, Tino, those are guys that are prone to, um, they'll occasionally have big offensive outbursts. You never get that out of Tristan. You're never going to get, you know, more than, I don't know, eight to 10 points out of him, I, I think. So, I mean, JR can be a guy who can get hot and, and hit a few threes in a row, same with Corver. Um, so right. Yeah. That's a nice little, nice little shot he threw up there. Um, so I think that those are just different types of players. I don't know that there's anyone. Um, I think for the things that Tristan does defensively, you have guys that'll do the same thing. I mean, I I don't know that there's anything he does where you don't have a guy that can do the same thing or can't uh, that he can't rely on to do something similar. All right, um, let's talk about the other power forward slash uh, center on this team, Kevin Love. It uh, has not been a great series for him. I, you know, I kind of started this discussion, and I mean, he's second second highest in points per game and rebounds, but uh, I don't think he's anywhere close to what the Cavs are looking for out of a second option. Uh, it's been rough all around, and I'm really surprised. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but just kind of looking at seeing some of the numbers that have gotten shared on social media today, um, he apparently. Has his numbers have not been great across the board, but he's been basically shut down entirely by Miles Turner, and I, I kind of found that surprising. Mez, have you kind of picked up on what Miles Turner's been able to, you know, do to Kevin Love here in this series? Not really. I guess I just wonder what's going on with the hand and how much that's affecting his overall offensive game. I mean, he he's losing the ball around the, you know, he's never been the greatest with, uh, you know, power moves down low, but it's getting stripped. And he, I, is, is his shooting percentage down because it, it can't be helping. Um, and then, you know, the Cavs, the Cavs offense, just, uh, either, either the Pacers defense is really good or the Cavs offense is a mess. So it just doesn't seem like they're getting anyone, their regular shot. So uh, nothing surprised, surprises me, but it is a concern. Yeah. I think he, you look at the way that, They've sort of been taking them out of game like the like last night. Couple, I, I don't know if they were good fouls or not, but couple fouls really early. Obviously, just take them out completely. Um, we've always found that Kevin Kevin loves it his best when he's involved early. When they start sort of getting him the ball, he can start off a little hot. Um, that's when we've seen him at his best, and the fact that they've sort of been able to neutralize him right off the bat is a big factor, I think. Um, obviously his hand thing is another thing altogether, but, um, I don't know. I feel like LeBron has been more frustrated with love than anybody else on the team. And I do think that's cause he's, he's been through more with love and I think he expects more out of him, um, than anybody else. So I don't know, hopefully, uh, he, he's able to pull it together and sort of get back to what we're used to seeing from him. But, uh, we'll find out soon, I guess. You're a hundred percent right about him generally looking better when he gets involved early. And that was what surprised me so much about game three was he had a pretty nice first half there, um, got involved quite a bit. And it was one of those nights where I was like, okay, he's on, 
We, we, we have a Kevin Love appearance tonight. We're good to go. And as everything else in that game, you know, pretty much came crumbling down in the second half and the Cavs had a meltdown on all fronts. Uh, Kevin Love was at the forefront of that. And that I think was what really surprised me about that was even in a game when he got off to a great start, he still became pretty much invisible in the second half. Um, all right, let's, let's shift gears here. Um, J.R. Smith, uh, what a year for him, you know, loses his spot in the, uh, starting lineup was not originally going to be starting in the playoffs by game two. He's back in the starting lineup. Um, and has become really one of the few guys in this team outside of LeBron that does not look like he's afraid of the moment and afraid to, to shoot the tough shot. Um, Mez, give me your JR thoughts. Uh, kind of what you said. It, it's, I, I still don't think we quite see old JR, but it, it, it's a close that simile now. And, um, I think it points out how, how Rodney Hood's been a disappointment. I mean, it just became clear you couldn't count on that guy in the starting lineup. And uh, like I said, we're, we're getting uh, maybe not enough from JR, but but something. So it, it's been good to see because some of these uh, role, some of these you know uh, supporting characters for LeBron are going to have to step up, and I'll take signs of it. Trevor, yeah, I think, no, JR. I think. He's one of those guys that I think seems to get up more for these. You don't see any nerves from him. Um, he's always, in general, is kind of a guy that just fires away. So seeing him continue to shoot, obviously, isn't, isn't a surprise to anybody. But um, his defense obviously ramps up a little bit, too, I think. He's got a little more energy. He expends a little more on the defensive side than, than maybe he normally does during those random meaningless games. But, uh, um, no, it's it's the guy that you want to see. It's it's He's the guy that, you know, made us everybody in Cleveland love him um, a couple of years ago because he's not afraid of the moment and when sort of everything else some other guys that you're expecting more from seem to be you know kind of kind of maybe a little timid or a little tentative he never is so he's picking up and I think he's helped a little bit with that second unit too um, when he was coming off the bench he sort of got a little rapport with them and I think that his energy kind of passes down a little bit although they haven't necessarily been terribly impressive as a whole um having him out there i think is is a big help when lebron isn't on the floor yeah the one thing i will say about jr is we all love his shooting and you know it's fun when he starts catching fire from three-point range or, or hitting these ridiculous circus shots or you know the occasional 70 footer at the buzzer uh like we got treated to last night but uh travis you had mentioned what he's done defensively uh he's pretty much drawn the assignment in uh covering oladipo for Indiana, I think pretty much from game two on, and you know we saw Oladipo abuse the Cavs in game one, and I think he's done uh, tremendous work in kind of limiting what Oladipo has done since then. Last night, I believe he shot just five of twenty from the floor, the only three pointer he had banked in. Um, and Indiana's looked a lot different and had to really work to get some other guys involved. I know that, uh, was it, uh, Bogdanovich in, uh, Ugh, Bogdanovich in game three. <laughs> it, uh, you know, I mean, that's the, you're going to have stuff like that. I mean, role players in, in when they're playing at home and, you know, you hope that somebody, uh, whoever the Cavs equivalent to Bogdanovich is, uh, maybe catches fire, uh, here in game five coming up on Wednesday night. But, uh, you know, Oladipo definitely, uh, 
slow down a little bit with uh, with Jr. on him, and I think it's uh, helped the Cavs defense in general. Are, I'll I'll ask both of you guys this: Are you surprised by the way these games have been played in terms of pace and scoring and just the the general tenor? Because I mean, if there's one thing that we could count on with the Cavs throughout the course of this season, it was that yeah, they're gonna give up a billion points, but they're going to score a billion and one. And these games, these teams are, are scrapping just to hit triple digits. Yeah. I think there is a lot of it seems to be just, they're, they're not making open shots. Like both teams, um, Thaddeus young, I missed three or four pretty easy layups yesterday. Um, Corver obviously missed a bunch of open threes that he doesn't normally miss. Um, I haven't looked at the metrics. The pace doesn't seem all that different to me. Um, the efficiency is definitely down. Um, the, pace, the pace might be different. I'm not sure. You'd probably know better than I would. Um, but in, in general, it just seems like they're they're playing sloppier, not necessarily um, slowing the game down all that much. It, I just feel like the season got uh, real playoffsy real fast. I mean, you see like, just I think the defense on both ends is ratcheted up. You see a lot of hard closeouts that maybe you don't see, at least from the Cavs, you don't see during the regular season. And uh, it just everything's difficult. They're, like the Cavs get these open shots, but they're not as open as frequently as, as you come to expect. So when then, you know, once guys like Corver start missing, it just feels like it's uh, tough to turn that around. So, all right, boys, what, uh, what, what are we looking for in game five? I want him to personally. I just want him to come out making shots. I thought the offense and they go into halftime with a ten point lead. I know the easy answer is you know continue playing that way in the third quarter, as opposed to you know I don't know if they're making adjustments or they're saying hey everything's working, keep doing what we're doing, and the other team makes adjustments so it stops working. Um, I don't know what it is, but um, I'd like to see him come out in the third quarter with a little more urgency and a little more. Uh, uh, effectiveness, but I also want them to start off. I feel like even though they go into halftime with a pretty decent lead and they have a pretty decent lead in the, in the first half, they still come up. It seems like they're not shooting the ball. Well, um, particularly poorer yesterday. If, if, if they're going to run the offense like that um, to get him, those open looks, they'll just have to go in. I'd also like to see obviously Kevin Love come out and play like the guy that we know he is. Yeah. Uh, Mez, just before I, I turned you loose here, I, I want to clean something up earlier. I think I had said, Kevin Love's been struggling um, with Miles Turner. It's, it was Thaddeus Young who's basically been giving him fits. So if, if there's one thing I'm looking for, it's to kind of find some creative ways to get Kevin Love going tomorrow, get him some different looks, and and maybe free him up from Thaddeus Young, uh, shutting him down left and right. But, uh, Mez, go ahead. No, nah, well, I, I was just going to piggyback on the If there's anything I think we can, the Cavs can try to do early, it's to, to try to feature Kevin, try to get him going. Um, and then maybe not wait too long to, to, to just have LeBron uh, take over a bit. But uh, and, and you know, let's get uh, let's get Lance Stevenson teed up early. <laughs> yeah. Let, okay. That that's one more thing. What what the hell is with the, that guy? Like I understand that oh, mini Draymond Green. That guy. Oh, it's brutal. If Draymond, if Draymond Green was devoid of talent, yes. <laughs> yes. I, no, I, I, we're living in a world where somehow. Um, Lance Stevenson is getting the calls and LeBron isn't, or he's baiting LeBron into stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. It's, I thought, 
I was going to have a stroke last night when Chris <laughs> Weber started explaining what happened in that play at the in the final ten seconds when uh, Stevenson tied up Jeff Green. He, I, you said like a stroke. A stroke might actually be the reason that Weber was telling us what he was telling us because he seems like a guy that's completely lost when he's out there, and that was sort of the pinnacle of it yesterday. Is even after, as the Cavs are shooting free throws, he's trying to explain what happened, and he's nowhere near what actually got called. Did you guys happen to watch any of the post game? Because Kenny Smith was as confused as anyone too. Even after they had like the, I don't know, the head of officiating yeah, or whatever. They, yeah, they had like, the, the head how replay is this guy difficult? on. Everyone, it's like it's like it was like uh, you know graduate level stuff. I, I didn't get it. And the, and the, Kenny's argument was was really that he didn't think it was a foul, so he didn't understand like why it, it got stopped. But the guy, Shaq and Barkley and the replay call to tell him like, well, regardless of whether you think it was or not, it was called one. So that's, that's what, that's what it is. Like, and, and, and when it broke down that way, like they were, um, they were talking essentially that they don't know, you know, at first, what's his name? Weber said it was a, like something on the calves. Some, what did he call a it? Hostile, hostile act. act. Yeah. That's I've right. never heard that, that term before. <laughs> right. And that turned out to be not the case, but, secondarily like Lance Stevenson tackled a guy like after a whistle was blown <laughs> how he ever thought it would have been on the Cavs in the first place I'm not so sure either and the other yeah, thing, to, your, to your point about a stroke like you're confused the whole time and you're furious and then you finally along with the announcers realize that Jeff Green wait, is they about got to shoot right. some foul shots and you go oh. yeah I'm like, oh wait they got it right never mind okay all right I'm calm I'm calm well, that was, that was the other thing. Like, it wasn't like they went back and changed their mind after looking at the replay. I mean, I, I saw it in the, the first replay they showed is the official on the sideline was signaling jump ball. The official on the baseline already had one hand up signaling a foul. So, I mean, he had the call right from the get-go. And, you know, they just had to kind of decide who uh, it made their call first, I guess. But, um yeah, the, the, the Weber I can't believe thing. there's not somebody in the announcer's ears correcting them sooner. I mean, I can see them not seeing it right from, for whatever reason, but uh, to let yeah, it go you on as long as there's a did. producer that actually knows what happened and is saying, no, 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 it was this, and can you know just basically tell right. them. And but, I, I don't you know, want this to come across as a cheap shot, but with Marv Albert working play-by-play these days, you absolutely need to have a producer in the ear um, cleaning up what's being said on the broadcast. Um I love Marv. He's my all-time favorite NBA announcer, but uh, it, it's getting really uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I think, Mez, I think it was you I was texting with about this the other night. It uh, he, he slipped. He, the how many well, what's times the phrase? It's now they say. Oh, now they're uh, saying it's it's a foul uh, going the other way. Was, right. No, no, Marv. That was the call the entire Every, time. Everybody but you knew that was what it was. Yeah, it's 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 uncomfortable. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, he's an institution in NBA broadcast booths, but uh, my goodness, here we are. And again, I know I'm like several shows too late for this, but I just got to get it in. I'm, I'm still glad it's not our guys, so I'll still take this. <laughs> well, we... I'm not uh, going to lie. I was close to switching over to the to the local <laughs> broadcast yesterday. That's how bad it's been. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's stressful all around, man. I think we're all just on edge. This, this series just needs to wrap up and... Uh, have the uh, the Cavs get through to fight uh, to the next round? Because uh, it 
Oh, wow. That, uh, about an 80 foot, uh, empty net goal for the Capitals there. Um, yeah, I saw that. Wow. Um, yeah. So, all right. Any other, uh, Cavs NBA playoff thoughts, uh, so I think we said at the top of this, it, uh, it's been a rough first round and uh, competitive all around for the most part. Uh, the uh, the Sixers looked like kind of a freight train in the East. The Pelicans coming out of nowhere in the West. But uh, Would you believe the Pelicans are the only team to sweep their opening round? All, all these series are going 2-2 basically, and the Pelicans just breeze right through the Pacers. I, I would have never guessed that. The, the whole 6-3 thing did not uh, – uh, shock me too much in the West, just because. I mean, I think that conference uh, three coming. And, I mean, yeah, I think three. The difference between three and eight was like two two games. Right. I was so. going to say coming down to like the last week of the season, uh, three through nine, I think were all within a game or two of each other. So it was a closely grouped uh, t- uh, bunch of teams. But yeah, that um, to go four zero like that was pretty impressive, and um, yeah. There you go. Okay, that'll do it for this episode of The Nail. Again, make sure you're subscribed to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app. Help us spread the word about the show. Tell your friends about us. Share our posts on Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Our thanks again to Mark Mazeros for joining us. Now we invite you to go check out me, Trav, and Mez over on the WaitingForNextYear.com podcast talking NFL draft coverage. See you over there. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast